So when I was a kid, there might have been just one time that I got in trouble at church. There was a new Sunday school teacher, and we had a relatively small church, so it was maybe five, six other kids with this new Sunday school teacher, and I decided it was time to test what they were made of. And so I wasn't really paying attention much, and I wasn't really following their orders or you know, following with the lesson. I don't even remember what the lesson was about. But what I do remember is about halfway through, I decided it would be fun, instead of sitting at the table, to crawl underneath all of the pews in the church. And so I stood up, got on my hands and knees, and I started to military, military crawl my way through the church and caused a complete disruption. And I got a talking to afterward. Yeah, I got in trouble. <laughs> I deserved it. Um, and from that point on, like, that was deserved. Like, I get it. But from that point on in my life, I began to realize just how different church was from home. Because in ch- at home, you've got rules. But at church, you've got extra rules. And maybe some of you have found this. How would you, how would you fill in this blank? We don't blank in church. Just go ahead and shout out an answer. What don't we do in church? We don't talk in church. Yeah, I didn't even think about that one. Um, what, what else? We don't... We don't mess around. <laughs> we don't mess around in church. We don't run in church. We don't jump in church. We don't, yeah, just maybe you've got your own rules you've picked up over the years. But as I was young, I'm like, man, there's a lot of special rules just for church. Now, I kind of understood church is a special place, and so we want to show special behavior. But after a while, I began to wonder, and this wasn't like a kid, this was more as you know, younger adult. I began to wonder, what makes one space sacred and another space secular? What makes one place holy where we don't do certain things and another place is unholy or at least neutral and we can do those things? And maybe you've wondered this too in your life. Maybe some of you are even skeptical about church and you're thinking, why do they think this is such a special thing to go to or a special place? And the, the big question I hope to kind of guide us through today is this. What part does church play in God's kingdom? Forget about what the church tells you. What would Jesus say about the role of a local church in the 21st century? And how does a local church with a building and people and maybe a steeple, how does that play a part? In God's kingdom. Now, if, if you're um, just joining us for the first time, or if this is your first time in a while, this is actually part three in a series where we're talking about the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, or as Matthew wrote about it, the kingdom of heaven. And we're looking at what this kingdom is all about. This phrase comes up so often in the New Testament, you need to understand the kingdom of heaven if you really want to understand what Jesus was all about. And so we saw how the kingdom of heaven is God's reigning among us. It's not a physical location with a a castle or a wall. God's kingdom is within us. And he's reigning within us to bring about a change, a transformation of our hearts. We also saw that the kingdom of God is reigned by a very loving king who loves his people. And it is a joy, a pleasure to submit to his ruling in our lives. 
And today for part three, let's, let's take a look at what role churches play in this kingdom of God. What makes one place holy and another place not? Or maybe the, the better question that is more applicable, is church the place to go to in the case where we are overwhelmed with unholy vampires? You've seen the movies, you know, go seek refuge in the church, like the holy place. Like, is there something holy about the church? Well, for the people in Jesus' day, this is actually a pretty easy question to, uh, pretty easy question to answer. What makes one place holy and another place not? Well, they said, well, it's pretty simple. There's one holy place, and that holy place is called the temple. And if you, if you know the whole history of the temple, it goes back to King David, who wanted to build a temple for God, but ultimately it was David's son, Solomon, who would build this amazing temple in about 950 B.C. And when Solomon was done with this temple, and they dedicated it to God, it says that the, the, the the presence of God filled the temple in a, in a way that they could see. There was this smoke that filled it. And Solomon said, this is indeed a fitting house for God. And so the Jewish people recognized that the temple was the presence of God. That was where God dwelled. So if you wanted holy ground, you would go to the temple. And God gave specific instructions. If you were on that property, the tabernacle or the temple... There were certain things you could do, but a lot of things you couldn't. And maybe that's where we kind of get the idea that when you go to a church, this is holy ground, it's sacred ground. There's certain things you can't do, certain things you shouldn't do. But then one day, Jesus paid a visit to the temple. And he was disturbed by what was being allowed. And he saw something. He said, this should not be happening at the temple. And as we dig into this account from John chapter 2, it's going to help us clarify what makes a place holy or what makes a place special. And we're going to figure out too, when it comes to your life today, what role a church has in the kingdom of God. So we're going to jump into John chapter 2, where this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And this is not the last time Jesus would go to Jerusalem, and it was not the first time he had gone there. This is about three years before he would be put to death. So he, along with all the other Jews, would go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate the Passover. And just to give you a little bit of a context, the temple that Jesus saw was not the temple that Solomon built. Solomon's temple was mostly destroyed and rebuilt in the 500s BC. And then throughout the years, uh, it was pillaged, it was uh, desecrated to the point where in about 20 BC, Herod decided he would help restore the temple, renovate the temple. And so for 46 years, as Jesus was growing up, Jesus could visit Jerusalem and he could see these massive renovations happening to the temple in the surrounding area. In fact, when Jesus visited the temple when he was 12 years old, uh, we're, we're told about a visit to Jerusalem where he stayed there for a few days, he would have seen the temple was still about 10 or 15 years of renovation work to be done yet. This incredible, incredible thing. 
But this particular day, Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he sees something troubling. Now, for those of you who are visual learners like me, it might be helpful to see what the temple looked like because it's a little bit more complicated than just, it's more than just a building. Uh, here's what the temple complex would have looked like. And this is, just a, this is a model of what it might have looked like back then. Um, but we'll start with the, the number one and then work our way in. Um, so on the outside of the temple area here, you would see that this is a, a kind of a courtyard. This was called the courtyard of the Gentiles. Anybody was allowed there. Almost anybody was allowed there. So you didn't have to be a Jew or anyone special. Anyone could come into the court area. And that's where a lot of people would meet and they would first obviously come here if they were visiting the temple. Now, the second area just inside these main walls is called the, the courtyard of the women or where the women were permitted to be. So you, you had to be a Jew, and this is as far as women were permit, permitted to go if they were also a Jew. Um, you get into the third area, this inner courtyard, and you see that uh, this is more, more um, closed off. This section was only for Jewish men and mostly for priests. Number four refers to the first part of the actual building itself, and there was an, um, an, uh, an area where the priests would often go to conduct their priestly duties. So that number four area was just for the priests. And then the fifth part, which you can't see in the picture, was the innermost part of the building, the Holy of Holies, where it was said God himself dwells there. And there was only one person who could go into that space. And at that, he could only go in there once a year. And at that, he could only go in there after performing a sacrifice to atone for his sin and the sins of the people. And that one person was the high priest. So right away, you see this temple complex, and what does it teach you about God's presence? We are separated from him. Ultimately, there's different levels that a person can go through, but no one is really fit to be in the presence of God. It's only through sacrifice. It's only through the shedding of blood that ultimately God's presence can somehow be brought in, into connection with our presence. There's a disconnect, and sacrifice is needed. Sacrifice is necessary. And if you were a Jew living at that time, it would be week after week, month after month, year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice. And even once you got done with this sacrifice that you brought to the temple, the clock would start ticking for the next time you would need to bring another one. This was a continual reminder for people that sacrifice was needed to atone for our sin, but the sacrifice of any animal would not suffice. There needed to be a greater sacrifice provided. And God promised one day he would send him. So here's the incredible thing about John chapter 2. Here we see the Lamb of God who would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world visiting the temple where sacrifices are made for the sins of the world. And here's what he sees when he visits. In the temple courts, that very first area, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging 
money. And we might think of this, you know, not with all the severity that it deserves, because in order to sell cattle and sheep and doves, and in order to set up a, a system where you can exchange foreign currencies and keep track of them all, you need to set up a system. You need stalls for the animals. You need ways to get in food and water and take out the things that shouldn't be there. And this was a mess. In fact, uh, John highlights that word, sitting. These, these money exchangers were sitting at tables because they had set up their specific areas. Now, we're not sure exactly how this happened, but maybe the Jews in charge of the courtyard area said, yeah, we'll sell you a square of real estate over here. You can rent it by the day, and here's the going rate. And this would have been a very lucrative business. But what we do know is that it was extremely convenient for people. You didn't have to take your sacrifice or your animal to Jerusalem. You could just show up at the temple courtyard, exchange your money, buy the animal, take it 10 steps over to the priest, and be good to go. But showing honor to God is not a matter of convenience. Showing honor to God is a matter of sacrifice. So when Jesus saw this, he went into action. He made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And we're not sure why he singled out the dove sellers, but he, he went to those who sold doves and he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. This is not the smiling Jesus picture that you might have hanging on the wall in your home. This is Jesus who is adamantly protecting something sacred. And then something John often does is he'll take a step back from the story and insert something that, you know, he's writing this decades, decades, decades after this happened. And so John steps out of the story and he adds one little detail. He says, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. This was not anger. This was zeal. Zeal that something holy and sacred was being desecrated in the way it was being used. Now, maybe the Jews figured, and this is where this ties in with our lives, maybe they figured, this is just the outer courtyard. It doesn't really matter. We're not going to do this in the Holy of Holies. This is the outer courtyard. God doesn't care what happens in the outer courtyard. But Jesus said, God cares about the outer courtyard. And if you've been thinking that there's an outer courtyard in your life, you know, it's not your, your heart. It's not, it's not like your church time. This is just a thing on the side. God cares about the courtyard. If you've been thinking, God, maybe there's a secular part of your life and a spiritual part of your life, God says, no, your whole life, the whole thing, I'm interested in. And the other thing we see is, is this, that when it comes to the presence of God, Jesus wasn't just all relaxed in skinny jeans and, you know, hey, come as you are, grab your coffee, let's go worship, you know. He wasn't just totally relaxed. And he wasn't totally strict either. But what we see is that he had reverence in his Father's presence. There was reverence about him. And so you put that all together, and, and what do we see here? Reverence for his Father's presence 
but also a recognition that people had declared secular what is sacred. Jesus drove out what didn't belong. And that's the first thing we see, is that in, in places that God considers sacred, holy, he will drive out what does not belong. Which is why maybe some of you are, are watching online because you don't feel like you deserve to go into a church because you'll be driven out, like you don't belong here. Or maybe some of you, at some point in your life, you had this worry that if you were actually to come into a church, a sacred place, they would kick you out and drive you out because you don't belong here. But the way God's kingdom works is we're not talking about a physical room that is somehow sacred or holy. But what did we, what did we see already? Where God is, is your heart. Your heart is a holy place that is inhabited by God himself. And if he sees a courtyard in your life that you're neglecting or you've allowed to become busy with distracting things that are taking away from his glory, he will want to drive that out. It won't be fun. It won't be easy. And it might be confrontational. But this is how Jesus is so focused on being zealous for God's presence. So consider that in your own life. What is, where is the holiness of God? It is not about a place or a building. It is about your heart. And what doesn't belong, he will want to drive out. Now, the Jews didn't understand why Jesus was driving things out, just like sometimes we don't understand what, why, you so, why is God so you know, focused on this thing? Like, doesn't he know this, this is the world we live in? The Jews didn't quite understand why Jesus was so determined to drive out all these things from the courtyard. And so they asked him what he was doing. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Um, do you have a letter? Did you, did you get a permit? Because, you know, these people are here by our authority, our permission, not by whose authority are you driving them out. Now, this is one of the most interesting things a person could ask because they are trying to defend the temple, whereas Jesus is trying to defend the kingdom. And because they're seeing two totally different things, as long as they're trying to defend the temple, Jesus says, okay, if, if that's what you're after, then let's just get straight to the point. Jesus said this, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And what we're going to see in a couple weeks as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter is that this is the one thing they pointed to as the reason to kill him. They threatened, he threatened a holy place. And as he made this accusation, or as he made this you know, invitation, destroy this temple, I'll, I'll build it again in three days, he was challenging the very heart and core of what their world was all about. They existed to serve the temple. And I found that same, that same trap in my own mind, to view church, to view Christianity as a place you visit. Let's build the walls. 
Let's make the walls bigger. Let's expand because this is what the kingdom of God is about. And the Jews, many of the Jews in that day just could not see what Jesus was getting at because they were about a temple, but Jesus was about the kingdom. And so they responded with this. They said, it's taken 46 years and the wealth of the Roman Empire to rebuild what you see today. And and you say you're going to raise it in three days? And then here's, once again, where John takes a step back. They just couldn't understand. They couldn't see past the temple. They couldn't see past the temple. And so John adds this. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now just get this through your mind, just real quick. The temple was the actual presence of God because God promised his presence would be within that temple. And if you remember, um, in the Holy of Holies, one of the things in there was the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol, the presence of God. But when Jesus became flesh and walked among us, a new temple had been built. The presence of God was no longer confined to the Holy of Holies, but the presence of God was now walking around and interacting with sinners like you and me. And so when Jesus confronted the Jews and said, what are you doing? Drive all this out. They were trying to defend the temple, but Jesus was trying to show them that the temple had moved. He was the embodiment of God. And he actually prophesied what he was going to do years later. That in order to build his church, God would have to destroy his temple. But, number two, most people were so focused on the building that they forgot the kingdom it represented. And I just want to make sure that this really gets some traction in your heart like it did with mine this week. Because we can fall into all of these exact same traps, and I'm not pointing the finger at the Jews, because so often we can turn our church experience into a building. We can turn it into a a one-hour or a two-hour thing each week. We can go and visit and do our thing and do our work and then go and keep a separation between what is holy and what is secular. And isn't that the, the biggest form of hypocrisy to say that we need to act a certain way in church to be holy and to be good, but then as soon as we leave, you can do whatever you want. Isn't that the biggest form of hypocrisy? And so Jesus told them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Here's the incredible thing about Jesus. He didn't just act a certain way when he was on temple grounds. Throughout the day, throughout the week, no matter where he was or who he was with, he was on his best church behavior. Throughout his entire life, he was perfect. If you wanted to model for what you need to do in church, look at Jesus. But if you want to model for what God requires of every person, what it looks like to be perfect and holy. Look to Jesus. If, if you want to see what it looks like to have a walking, moving, talking temple, look at Jesus. He alone was worthy to be in the presence of God because he alone was God. 
And as a human being, he did something we never could. Attain to the full righteousness of God. He had every right that day to walk straight into the holy of holies. And yet, he stayed in the outer courtyards to reach the people who were there. And that's where the temple of God intersects with you. The holiness of God isn't about a place you visit. It's about the God who traveled great lengths to find you. And this is, this is model changing. This is model shifting. And it took those first century followers of Jesus so long to sort this all out. Like all of their life revolved around this temple. But now that Jesus had fulfilled the role of the temple and fulfilled the role of the priest, there was no longer a need to visit the temple because the temple had come to us. And so as, as John finishes this, he gives this hint that the disciples began to change the way they thought about things. And here's how he concludes this section. After Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled this event three years previously. And then, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. It was then that they believed Jesus through his death and resurrection had fulfilled the scriptures that Jesus so often quoted. And Peter, who was there that day, Peter recalled this moment where Jesus visited this temple and, and other instances too. Uh, there's another time where the disciples visited the temple complex and they're, they're taking Jesus and saying, look at all this, Jesus. And Jesus says, this will all be destroyed. The kingdom of God doesn't depend on the temple. The kingdom of God is just fine without a Notre Dame cathedral. It's just fine without buildings. The kingdom of God is within you. And as Peter is considering this shift of model, here's what he said. As you come to him, the living stone, here's what the temple was all about. Is yeah, a building, but it was a foreshadow of a spiritual building that God would build. Jesus was the living stone, rejected and tossed away by humans, but chosen and precious to God. You also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering not physical animal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the new temple that God built. He destroyed his temple to build the church, not a building or a place to visit, but the presence of God in each person's heart. And then Peter quotes this scripture. He's like, this is the scripture that brings it all together. He said this. Scripture says, see, in, I, I lay a stone in Zion. This is a reference for Jerusalem, for what Jesus did on the cross. I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame because there will be grace and forgiveness in him. And so here's where we kind of blow things up. Is this a holy place? Is this a sacred place? And I would say yes for two reasons. Number one, this is a sacred holy place because God promises to be with us when we immerse ourselves in his word. And he promises that he comes to us in baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
And so that's why we focus on those things when we gather here as a church. So is this a sacred place? Yes, in the sense that we are in the presence of God through those means of grace. And this is a sacred place just as much as your house is a sacred place. When you open your scripture, when you pray together, any place is a sacred place when it's focused on the means of grace that God comes to us through. And the other thing is what makes this place special is not the building. In fact, uh, we, every time we bring some new members into the North Cross family, we always ask them, like, why'd you come back a second time? And so far, nobody has mentioned the carpet. <laughs> but the thing they come back to time and time again is the people. So here's number three. Your body is a temple of God. And God's people are his house. These truths were emphasized in the New Testament when people began to treat their bodies carelessly and in ways that are outwardly sinful. Don't you know your body is a temple of God himself? His presence is within you. Live according to who you are. And then here's the other thing. If you really want to go to a place to experience or to encounter the holiness of God, where should you go? You know, it's one thing to go to a cathedral where there's massive stained, uh, stained, stained, what do you call them? Stained windows? Glass Glass windows. There we go. Stained glass windows. Um, It's one thing to see, you know, these cathedrals that are so amazing and you're just in awe. But no artist can capture what grace looks like. If you really want to encounter God, go visit a group of sinful people who've been forgiven by God and are doing their best to love and forgive one another. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that. That's how people will know you follow me, by the way you love one another. So that's what makes this a sacred sacred place. It's where God comes to us through his word and through his, through his sacraments. And it's a place where we can practice what it looks like to reflect the kind of love that Jesus, the walking, talking temple, first showed to us. And so here's the application. Would you treat as sacred what God calls holy? This starts with you. Because I know that it's easy when you're thinking about your process of what we call sanctification. It's the process of, you know, growing more and more in reflecting God's love in your life. Some of you might be in a place where you're like, you know what, I have no place in this living house of living stones that that you're talking about. My past disqualifies me from being anything that you just mentioned. What I want to know is that Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to renovate. He came to make new. And your story does not disqualify you from being part of this household that he brings you into. He came not with condemnation, but with renovation. So it begins with you, how you view yourself. He is renovating you from the inside out every day. You are a temple of God. Then the other application is how you view the people around you. If you really want to see the most sacred place, the most holy place on earth, then you have to look into the heart of another human being where Christ reigns. 
In the New Testament, you never see a place referenced as holy or sacred, but you see throughout the New Testament, the people are holy. They are declared saints. So what God declares to be holy, would you treat that as sacred? And I hope you can come back next week because we're going to look at what it looks like for the church to go beyond its walls, to take the kingdom of God and go on the move into the world around us. What does it look like and what does it take for that to happen? And we'll touch on that next week. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, that day that Jesus visited the temple, he, he challenged the way that a lot of people were thinking through some things. They believed that the temple was a holy place and they let that become a distraction from the kingdom that it stood for. Same thing can happen so often in our lives. We let physical things on the outside detract us from the invisible kingdom work that you want to do. So would you give us hearts of repentance as necessary to receive the forgiveness that we so desperately need? Send your temple to us to drive out what doesn't belong and to replace it with grace and forgiveness. Remind us often of who we are so that the way we live can reflect your presence in our hearts. Thank you for your love and forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.